This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Thursday, July 12th of 2018, it's episode 136. In this episode, Chris Newton from the Gameable Podcast and Mega Dumbcast joins us to discuss Destiny, plus the Disney characters we'd play in the game, what we've been playing lately, quite a lot about Innomine, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. I'm Jenny. And I'm Chris. Chris is back. Chris Newton. Hooray. <clears throat> One of our favorite podcasting buddies. Oh, thank mm-hmm. you. Yes. Who makes podcasts that I listen to religiously, in part because you make a daily podcast and that makes it really easy to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's a good way to get people hooked on the podcast to uh, have one out every day, you know, and then strategically, quote unquote, miss a day, cut people off. Oh, makes him desperate. <laughs> I have gotten jittery. I've gotten frustrated. Like, where, where is it? Where is it? Yeah, I'm with you. So Chris Newton of the Gameable Saturday Morning Podcast, formerly the Gameable Pixar Podcast, formerly, formerly the Gameable Disney Podcast. And it still is those things whenever one of those produces something new. Mm-hmm. Indeed. I, I yeah. guess got it all lumped under the Gameable Podcast banner. And then also Mega Dumbcast. You want to kind of give us the the 101 on both of these shows? Sure thing. So Gameable Saturday morning uh, or the the Gameable podcast family is a podcast where we take some kind of animated media and we break it down for role playing purposes. So we talk about the plots. uh, We talk about the characters. We talk about the setting and whatever other topics related to gaming come up in the course of the conversation. Uh, As you mentioned, we started on Disney movies. We went on to Pixar movies and now we do Saturday morning cartoons and then now and again, we'll dip into something that is cartoon adjacent, like uh, Mary Poppins, or uh, not too long ago, we did uh, an episode about Chikara Pro Wrestling, which is which is like a cartoon, but with like real live action sweat. Basically, uh, yeah, that's been going uh, for quite a while at this point. Uh, we just did, I don't know when this episode is dropping, but we are currently in the midst of a whole month about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And so, yeah, I like Gameable. It's a lot of fun. And we now do guests. It used to be me and my wife, Katrina. Uh, who did Disney and Pixar movies. Now it's mostly just me and a different guest each episode, each month, talking about uh, some cartoon series or another. And we talk about uh, your show all the time. You know, we're always plugging you guys and having you on the show. I need you guys to start getting more guests because I need to pad out my uh, my guest list. Uh, Yeah, you've you've gone through all three of us and also Grant's wife on your show. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. By the way, Chrissy does have a message for you. She said that if you want her to back on, let her know about six months in advance so she can try and actually watch stuff around the kids. <laughs> OK, um, I'll, I'll definitely be interested in having Chrissy back on the show. So I'll um, I'll keep that in mind. Um, and then the other podcast is Mega Dumbcast. So there's this game company, Palladium. They produced a lot of role playing games that were important to me in my childhood, but then I kind of grew out of them. So I still kind of love them, but I also like to curse about them now. So I have a podcast where I get to do that every day. It's all about how basically I identify every day of my podcast, the dumbest thing on the next page of a single Palladium RPG. So season one was Ninjas and Super Spies, a game about, you know, international intrigue and martial arts and James Bond stuff. And I went through every page of that book, including the covers and did a single podcast about every day of that book, what is the worst thing on it. Uh, and now I'm about halfway through Heroes Unlimited, second edition. Uh, so that's a short oh, wow. a short daily podcast that is a lot of fun, uh, extremely not safe for your kids, uh, your delicate sensibilities. Um, it's, it's a very sweary podcast. But um, 
you know, it's nice. So I get to talk about cartoons on my one podcast and then, you know, get to do this other <laughs> venture rage on substandard RPGs in the other one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very much so. Although I've, maybe I've never been as mean to a Palladium game as I was to the Aristocats when we talked about that on Gameable Disney. But <laughs> other than that, it's generally uh, Gameable is a sweeter show. Yeah. Uh, and in fairness, when you're talking about things that you already covered in season one, you do go and do Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness, mm -hmm. which is a much better RPG somehow. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, we do a uh, transdimensional Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles specifically. There you go. Uh, the supplement for TMNT and Other Strangeness, which is a wonderful, wonderful RPG supplement. And so we, we get a little bit of positivity in there now and again. But if positivity is what you like, then, you know, don't listen. Yeah. Stick with Gameable <laughs> if you like positivity. <laughs> <laughs> don't yeah. worry. I'm not listening every day on my morning commute for positivity. <laughs> <laughs> you, you feed the cynical side of me and it's wonderful. <laughs> Chris, thank you for coming on. We love having you on. Obviously, you know, you're, you're a fantastic host. We've had you on a couple episodes. Uh, we've had you and Katrina on for some episodes as well. It's been we had fantastic. just Katrina on once too. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And actually the mm -hmm. episode, this is kind of funny. That's actually sort of how we set up this topic way back in episode 58. We did an episode with Katrina on prophecy, and here we are, episode one thirty-five, finally getting yeah, around to talking about. Eighty-two episodes later, finally closing <laughs> the loop on that. Yeah, we're like, yeah, we should have <laughs> Katrina back on to talk about Destiny and Fate. Maybe get Chris on too. Years later, here we finally are yeah, doing. Katrina this. no longer is available to podcast regularly. It sounds like so. Yeah, she's she's just finished up being the interim director at her library, so she's been doing a regular job plus being the director of a library. And it's oh, time for summer reading. And uh, yeah, th there's a lot going on. But um, yeah. I am very happy to try to live up to her huge, tiny footsteps on the podcast. Um, I, for the first time, listened to her appearance on Saving the Game, actually. I didn't um, I didn't listen to that episode. I've listened to lots of Saving the Game, but I didn't listen to that episode until like two days ago in preparation for recording this one. And oh, uh, I, I like this Katrina girl. I think she's going places. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll admit, I haven't listened to it either, unless I did ages ago. I, I did definitely listen to um, the one about moral universes, which was also great. Mm -hmm. I actually listened to that one while I was moving to, I, I think it was back here from Newfoundland. And it was it was excellent, excellent listening for uh, a long car trip. Hmm. I actually re-listened to that one when I started doing the um, the setting that I've been blogging the design of. So, oh, hmm. yeah, because I did what, three or four posts on the moral universe of that setting. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, at yeah. Least. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was happy to see that come up and it's come up on Gameable as well. You know, we've talked about whenever we have occasion to talk about, uh, you know, what's going on morally with the authorial voice in a movie or whatever. Uh, we're always referring people back to that episode. Yeah, I remember yeah. that coming up sometime fairly recently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we always appreciate that. All right. So, uh, Chris, thank you again for coming on. It's mm -hmm. fantastic. Any news and notes from anybody real quick? I don't have a whole lot. No, unfortunately, no. we haven't really been able to game lately. There's been a lot of adulting. No. Um, yeah. If we wanted so to start off a side Stardew Valley podcast, we could do that. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Um, I put it this way a while ago. It's, there's there's five members of our gaming group. So it's like roll 1d6. Numbers one through five correspond to a member of the gaming group. Six is nobody has any conflict. We can game. <laughs> yeah. So far, something other than six has been coming up every yeah, it week. It really so. has. Chris, what have you been playing lately? So I've been uh, running a game at my local library of masks. Uh, that's been really fun. Uh, my first extended Ooh. foray into Powered by the Apocalypse after uh, kind of dabbling in that a while. So that's been really cool. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm enjoying that greatly. Uh, I've been listening. It really it was actually uh, listening to the Protean City 
podcast that that turned me on to masks. I knew about it, but that podcast made me feel like I have to play this. So that's been great. And um, it's been interesting to see how it scales when there are more people in the room. So, yeah, but it would but so far. It's been really good. And uh, people have really been getting into it. And other than that, I have been in a Call of Cthulhu game where I'm about to switch characters because I realized that my current character has no reason to put up with being in mortal danger all the time for a bunch of people she doesn't care about. Um, <laughs> and uh, so uh, so that's happening. And uh, I also am currently playing, as listeners to Gameable know, in a changeling game uh, based in sort of the modified world of Batman, the animated series, uh, where we are playing villains. And uh, that's been really fun. I'm playing a version of Basil Carlo, who is maybe the worst person I've ever role played. Uh, a terrible, terrible human being. It's been really a lot of fun. Awesome. That sounds amazing. I've, mm-hmm. I've been hearing the little hints you drop on your shows every now and then about that game. And I'm just like, I just want to sit in the room and watch. <laughs> yeah, I remember ah. when you guys kind of laid that out and it was like, oh, wow, this sounds like such a neat wow, this really does work. You just just kept going deeper and deeper, and it's like, yeah, it fits eerily perfectly. (laughs) I I cannot say enough good things about that campaign, especially because, like, conceptually it's great, but you know how that is. Like, sometimes you have a great idea for a game, and then it's okay, you know? But here, I think that the actual play of the game has outstripped even the concept of it. It's just, like, a great group of characters with like such tangled relationships you love to see that take off you know it's like you're it's like you're trying to grow a plant in your backyard you know like you can plant everything but then there's always that moment of like is it gonna like is it gonna just live or is it gonna kind of thrive and then when you see it start to come together start to grow it's like oh this is great and yeah this this group of characters just hit it off you know we've got um harleen quinzel uh obviously harley quinn we've got basil carlo clayface the original clayface um and then we've got oswald cobblepot as played by katrina which has been just delightful yeah, I can imagine. Okay, do uh, do any of the rest of us have any significant news or anything that we want to cover here? Or should I mean, we move on to our Patreon question? Nothing significant. I think the only thing I'll say is that I've been complaining in the past couple episodes about our Headspace game, and we actually had a good session of that last night. Oh, good. Very Where good. there was action that connected to the internal action going on in the Headspace, and so that went really well. It was good to see the GM kind of getting into it and kind of growing into what's needed to GM that game. So that was cool. Found their legs, huh? Yeah, a little bit. It is their first time GMing, so, you know, it's not an easy one to learn on. Yeah, mm. it usually takes a session or two anyways, and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let's uh, let's move on to our Patreon question here. I'm going to go ahead and roll a die, see what we come up with. Oh, this is perfect because it mentions the Gameable ah. Podcast. Huh. <laughs> oh, nice. So this is from Sean Stoffer, and this question turns out to be perfect, and it's not at all my doing. I didn't fudge the die at all. Sean asks, having recently binged on pop culture and the Gameable Disney podcast, and he's asking here, I'm going to edit his question a little bit as we go, create a viable party by each picking any Disney character for your character. Who do you pick and how do you emulate that character's skills and abilities within the constraints of the game? He doesn't specify a system, so should we just go with 5e to make it easy? Maybe, or we can just sort of see what what we come up with to model individual characters. Uh, who wants to, to start us off? I'll start us off. Can I Can I also start us off with a question? Are we, in this sense, are we exclusively using Disney movies, or can we also use Disney TV shows? You know, I'm good with whatever. All right. Okay. Peter, you I mean, go. If you're, I've got if you're mine, dead but you set go. on Paw Patrol characters, that's fine. <laughs> I'm... I'm not dead set on Paw Patrol characters. You have gone in completely the, the wrong direction. Well, not completely the wrong direction. Peter, you go. I'll take Captain Phoebus. 
He's uh he's easily doable as a neutral good fighter. What what's that from? Hunchback. Oh, okay. Okay. Huh. Yeah. All right. I never watched Hunchback in English. I'm just going to say that right now. I watched it in French because the girl down the street from me in childhood was primarily Francophone and she had the largest collection of Disney movies in the neighborhood. Oh, okay. <laughs> a lot a lot of my Disney childhood has been influenced by the French language. So. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I mean, that one takes yeah. place in France, so it's fitting. Yeah, yeah, very. If I can just ask, why, why Phoebus? I, not that it's a bad choice, but it's so interesting to me. It's like that's a deep cut for like a sword guy. So So why him? It's a Peter character. He's, 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 he's pro-society, prone to risking his life to save innocent people. He's very straightforward. Okay. Virtuous, kind-hearted. I enjoy playing that type of character. It doesn't go much deeper than that. Fair enough. Uh, mind if I go next? Yeah. Go, go for it. <clears throat> Perry the platypus. Darn you! Darn you! I was going to say Perry the platypus. Now I have to pick a different one. I'm sorry. Wait, Would you what? like to take From Perry what? the platypus? <laughs> Talk about deep cuts. I don't even know this character. <laughs> this is not that deep. Carrie the platypus is the best character in Phineas and Ferb. It really is. Phineas and Ferb was was very formative in in my in, in the kinds of cartoons that I enjoyed in high school. Perry the platypus is amazing. I will pick a different character because I also had a, a backup. Okay, well we're, then we're tell you what, just you... going full Kingdom Hearts here. I see. <laughs> no, Perry the platypus is amazing. So Phineas and Ferb oh, yeah. is uh, one of the more popular Disney young adult cartoons. I would say. Yeah, it's one of those ones where it's like it's aimed at 12 year olds, but it's the, the parents will also enjoy it. Like my mom would sit around and watch Phineas and Ferb with me. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. And the cool thing about it is it's the same plot over and over every episode. And that sounds terrible when I just say it like that. But because they kind of have to do the same thing over and over, all of a sudden there have to be these variations and this progression in kind of a Groundhog Day style in a way of if there's a quote unquote formula, how do we twist that formula to the point where there's actual progression, even though we're nominally saying, sure, there's a formula, hmm. fine, whatever. So Perry is the main character's Phineas and Ferb's pet platypus who masquerades as kind of a brainless, drooling, immobile pet. He just kind of waddles around. But he is also secretly a spy employed by some generic secret quasi-military agency, which is in and of itself hilarious, and has a primary antagonist of the evil Dr. Doofenshmirtz, who is actually probably the best character <laughs> in Phineas and Ferb. He's, he, yeah, I'd say he's the, he's the most developed character out of all of them. Yeah. He kind of has to be because every episode he'd explain some part of his back Story exactly. <laughs> but the wonderful thing about Phineas and Ferb or about Perry is he fights Dr. Doofenshmirtz every episode as part of the explicit formula of the episode, which means that they get to know each other. And after a yeah. while, it's like, you know, he'll capture Perry, you know, standard James Bond, you know. Perry leaps in. Clearly, Dr. Doofenshmirtz is up to something. There's a conveniently prepared trap. Traps the platypus. Ha ha! Perry the platypus, my nemesis. Let me... You, know, model. you are trapped by societal convention. Yes, <laughs> or you are trapped by these convenient <laughs> handholds or by being just too comfortable to move. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> Whatever, right? And then Doofenshmirtz sits and explains his plan with some backstory, like why I was wronged and what revenge I'm getting or things like that. But sometimes it's just like, I'm sorry, Perry, I didn't have anything prepared today. I have this other problem. And Perry will just be like, oh, well, let me help you out. That's fine. <laughs> Except he doesn't say anything. That's another great thing about Perry. He's, he is completely silent. He never makes a single sound except for like a, a tooth chattering sound. Yeah, exactly. But 
the idea of the hero who has such a long lasting relationship with the villain that they're basically buddies to the point where like he'll help help doofenshmirtz land dates <laughs> that is just wonderful for me perry's great all right but yeah i'm sorry jenny i stole my, yours that's okay my second choice is mulan because i just really like mulan a lot there's no special reason i think it's because she's just really great at fighting and that's very i think I have not listened to every single gameable Disney episode, but I feel like she's one of the more gameable of the princesses mm-hmm. in terms of she's just really good at fighting. And and that's that's really, really good to play. And I like her personality. She's got some spunk. It's I like that. down to her and Merida from Brave, isn't it? Oh, yeah. As far as like combat prowess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rapunzel somewhat. Ish. Ish. A little. I'd say she's significantly lower. She doesn't have the training no. is the thing. Yeah, no, Mulan uh, is definitely the classic martial archetype and also yeah, the princess. Yeah. And that it's a cool juxtaposition. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, the the princesses, like, they all have their own kind of thing. And it, some of them are more um, generally useful than others. And I think Mulan is great because not only does she have that martial ability, but she's also, like, such a leader. And she also has something going on. You know, for her character yeah. uh, that is distinct from the plot of the movie. That's sometimes difficult with like, you know, Belle, for example, is a fun character. But if you take her out of that story and put her somewhere else, you're not getting a lot of help about like who she is and what she would do in a place where she's not kidnapped by a monster. Yeah. So I think that's everybody but me. Right. And we've got like yeah. yep, two, yeah. two kind of martial characters. And then we've got Perry, who is like a spy, you say. I'm not familiar with Phineas and Fur, but like, you know, we're just going to kind of go with like the charismatic rogue charismatic rogue yeah okay so i'm looking to fill in something in like a caster spot assuming these characters don't need to get along they, they have some <laughs> compelling reason that they have to work together so it's okay if their personalities conflict then uh i'm gonna go with uh dr facilier he is just a cool character with cool magic and uh i think and very tricky as well so since we've got such like uh two very honest straightforward characters i think it would be fun to be like uh working with perry on the trickery to be able to do like combat misdirection and like curses and stuff and also be the lore character. Yeah, I like and that. And also be one of the more terrifying characters ever. Dr. Facilier scared the pants off. Him. Oh yeah, he was he was creepy. Yeah. He's actually I think he's one of the three best villains that Disney ever did in their animated movies. I'm going to put him right at the top for me. He was super scary to me. And like that movie came out when I was in my teens and he was still scary. Oh, yeah, I saw it. One I, out I of was them, like, I think I was older <laughs> than you when I saw that movie. And I was like, whoa, this guy is creepy. I mean, <laughs> it would have been hard not to have been older than me when you saw that movie. <laughs> well, no, Peter, I let's was be older when I saw the movie <laughs> than you are now, I believe. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I have to ask because I'm not going to say who my top Disney villains are because apparently we have a listener who's binging the podcast and that's something we tracked in Gameable Disney. But Peter, <laughs> for you, who are who are your top three? Who are the other ones? Frollo and Maleficent are the other two. Frollo and Maleficent. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I have no like particular comment about that. I'm just always interested in who people gravitate toward. Um, yeah. Mm. Frollo's obviously up there. Dr. Facilier is obviously up there. Ursula? Mm-hmm. is up there yeah. ursula is really good but i think for me my number one villain is the mother in rapunzel yeah because yeah, for me she is that yeah. she's so real in the sense of like yeah. this is this is not some wacky supernatural evil it's the same way frollo is such a good villain because he's so commonplace yeah it's mm. the hyper controlling mother who doesn't want to let their child grow up and their child is really all about them. Motherhood is all about them. It's nothing to do with the child. Who cares about the child? Yeah. 
it's very much like the reason why people uh, detest Professor Umbridge more than they detest Voldemort, yeah. because everybody has had that teacher. Mm. And I desperately hope that not everybody <laughs> has had that teacher, but I've had that teacher. Most people I've talked to have had that teacher. Nobody's had a Voldemort like that's actually trying to track them, the protagonist of their own story, mm -hmm. down to kill them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but just let me throw a flag on this. The next time you guys have me on, let's talk about um, real, like, evil and, like, despicable characters in play. Because I got some things to say about it after playing Basil Carlo, and this is bringing them all to mind. Like, what all makes right. it great? Right. 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 Okay, okay. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's mark that, that on I've the got the ideas doc open. Out. Give me a sec. Give me a sec. <laughs> <laughs> Just putting it right up here at the top Be of the uh, research. I'm more than happy to have that conversation <laughs> with you. Mm -hmm. Despicable characters with Chris Newton, CF135, <laughs> when he said he'd do it, and we'll hold him to that. Okay. <laughs> Sean, thanks for thanks for your question. We appreciate that. Thanks for the uh, incidental new episode idea. We appreciate yeah, that. You've given us a reason mm -hmm. to rope Chris in again sometime in the next six months. So mm -hmm. six months, yeah. six years, whatever it ends up being. Yeah. <laughs> uh, episodes. All right. And of course, if you want to support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash saving the game. Um, let's go ahead and move on to our scripture here. And then we've got a pretty sizable topic to, t uh, to tackle. So let's get into that. Uh, Chris, do you want to take any of these or do you want us to handle them? Actually, if we've got three and we've got four people, oh no, we've got four here. Yeah, I'll take one. Uh, okay. So, uh, yeah, whichever you, whichever you like. Okay. Tell you what, I'll start us off with Deuteronomy. I can take Corinthians. Uh, I'll take Isaiah. And I'll take Jeremiah. So this is Deuteronomy 31, verses 19 to 22. Now write down this song and teach it to the Israelites and have them sing it, so that it may be a witness for me against them. When I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, the land I promised on oath to their ancestors, and when they eat their fill and thrive, they will turn to other gods and worship them, rejecting me and breaking my covenant. And when many disasters and calamities come on them, this song will testify against them, because it will not be forgotten by their descendants. I know what they are disposed to do, even before I bring them into the land I promised them on oath. So Moses wrote down this song that day and taught it to the Israelites. Isaiah 46.10, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. This is Jeremiah 1, verses 4 and 5. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So our main topic tonight is destiny, which is a very common trope, especially in fantasy literature, but extremely controversial at many gaming tables, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. So let's get into this. Chris uh, and everyone else, how do we want to define destiny? And I'm just going to throw this out to everybody. What What is destiny? What is this enormous concept wrapped up very small and explained to people? <laughs> I mean, we've got all this here in the outline. We've got a we've got a huge thing here because yeah. it's so complicated. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, at a bare minimum, we can say that destiny is a sort of predetermined course of events 
that's just the fundamental thing about destiny is there is something that is or is not going to happen apart from just sort of a, the random operation of of chance and circumstance. But from there, it's super variable. I think that's what part of what makes it so complicated to deal with in gaming is we got to get on the same page because there is no commonly accepted definition of what destiny would be. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think maybe to break that down a little further, destiny is sort of distinct from prophecy. Prophecy is a explanation or prediction of events to come. Destiny is a role or event that is going to happen to someone or something. It's the thing they will be. Does that seem to fit for everyone? Mm-hmm. It's a good working yeah. definition for now, at least. You know, and this is everything from the very classic example, whosoever pulls the sword from out the stone shall be the right and true king of all England, to you will be the chosen one, to this nation will rise and fall, all sorts of different options. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And destiny is, like we said, a, a classic trope in fantasy literature because it reeks of magic, which is always fun. And plays into the up from nothing trope that is so common in fantasy, the the humble hero who is chosen by destiny, by fate, by the gods, by God, whoever, whatever, to be the protagonist, basically. And that's great. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. I mean, our our popular fiction is full of destined heroes, Harry Potter, Luke Skywalker, just to name two really super popular and well-known ones. You know, it's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly right. But. There's a problem in gaming. There's more than one hero, usually, uh-huh. in a game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, there's more than one writer. Yes. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and there may be an aversion to writing the future in a role-playing game, depending on how you like to play. You know, uh, I think some True. people rebel against the very idea that we would predetermine what happens when I fight the black dragon at the end of the campaign, or that I will do that even. And want it to be based on the events that happen along the way, which is obviously in inherent conflict with the idea of destiny. Yeah, I think that's very true. Yeah, now I can I think, hear the cries of ro- uh, railroading already. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, a meeping in the distance. <laughs> but I think some, I, I think that's a, an issue that can be addressed by looking more closely at destiny. But there is kind of a problem of motivation. If we're going to do this eventually, why not just do it now? Yeah, I, I mean, that's that's one problem among many. I, I think maybe it would be interesting to talk about, like, what what kind of destiny can you lay on people? Because that that affects this a lot. Like on the on the question of motivation, if destiny is conditional, you know, as it is, for example, off the top of my head in the Disney movie Hercules, where, you know, Hades is going to take over Olympus. But if Hercules resists him, then he'll fail. Then there's all the motivation in the world, right? Like, you know, it's on you. So you got to do be there to do the thing. If, on the other hand, we're talking about a totally predestined destiny, like everything will happen as it was written from the beginning, then you've got your problem of like, nothing I do matters, so why bother trying? Yeah, and if you have a a more vague one, like, you know, you are destined to be this legendary group of heroes that saves the world from a terrible evil, well, then it's like, okay, so it's a little extra narrative weight on the stuff that the campaign was going to be about anyways, game on. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do personally like the idea of destiny as potential, in part because I think the this group of people will do this thing very specifically gets problematic, with one exception. And I'll talk about that in a second. But I I like the idea of setting up a conflict through destiny, but not the outcome. Mm -hmm. You are Mm -hmm. the heroes destined to come up against the evil. Now, you'll note we said nothing about whether or not you're going to defeat it. 
Right. Yeah. Or what the consequences Mm -hmm. of defeating it or losing to it will be. Sure. This is kind of one of the main things that that happens in the Wheel of Time series, for example. It's all about this foretold hero, this destined hero. One of the many themes in that series is what does that destiny actually entail? What does what does it mean to try and live out this prophecy? What is it actually going to be for me and which of the hundreds of interpretations of this is true? Yeah. That that's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 an interesting set of things that especially yeah. gets dealt with in the, the last couple of books. Yeah. And it gives it gives back a certain amount of player agency that may have been that may otherwise have been removed with. Oh, so you're going to fight and you're going to lose too bad. <laughs> it sucks. Sucks to be you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're going to fight. You're going to all die and lose. Whoops. That just feels sort of or even you're going to fight and you're going to win. Like, are are you sure about that? <laughs> Let, let's see how many natural ones I can roll in the session. Yeah, questioning <laughs> destiny is always a fun thing, right? It, this is a classic fantasy trope as well. You know, if I am destined for something, can that be changed? Is destiny mutable? Mm-hmm. I mean, this this harkens back to Ebenezer Scrooge. Even I mean, you know, it's not mm-hmm. just a fantasy yeah. thing. Or, or to give another sci-fi example, the entire Terminator series is about this, basically. Oh yeah, time travels fundamentally yep. a destiny story in many ways with extra. Mm-hmm fiddly bits thrown on top. Yep. And of course, there is another kind of destiny, which is the, hey, so everything happened exactly as we foretold it because we're backfilling. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And this is pretty common. Eventually, a hero will rise and defeat the evil. Yeah. Look, <laughs> somebody beat the evil. Beat the evil. <laughs> They're the hero. Okay, good work, yep. guys. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that's interesting to me here is the, because you're talking about, you know, backfilling. So like, we don't need to have determined the events ahead of time. We just need to say they were predetermined once we get there. Um, there's an interesting parallel between what can be happening with characters and what can be happening with players in a game where destiny plays a large role. Because a large part of how destiny is used structurally is to set like expectations and ground rules. So mm-hmm. it's sort of, it's part of player buy-in that like, how can I accept that I'm a farm boy, but I'm the one who's got to go, you know, defeat the empire. Well, it's because you're the chosen one. So we just sort of accept you're the one who's going to succeed or fail at this. Or here's this event that's for sure going to happen in the plot. And I don't want anybody thinking they can stop it from happening. The game's not about that. So that's destined. And then, you know, you can operate around that. But that's the same sort of conversation that that characters might have in a world where they have access to, for example, prophecy. This is what we can change. This is what we can't. So I, I think... It's it's interesting when you talk about backfilling because I think you are also managing player satisfaction and expectation. If I know that I really got to choose what my character is about, then I don't feel so bad about the fact that within the fiction, everything that character has done has always been predetermined. Or it may be that if I'm playing a certain kind of character and, you know, this is my creative project that this person is really defining him or herself through their choices, that I might say, eh, it doesn't really work for me. I need you to leave some room because that's this character needs to make choices for this to work. It can't just be me. It has to be them. Yeah. I love the idea of destiny basically as a sort of in-universe statement of theme. This will happen because it's what the story is about. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And that serves, like you said, a very solid structural purpose, but it also sort of is a promise to the players, like you said. And I think that's got a lot of value. Mm -hmm. I think that has to be somewhat collaborative or should be collaborative in many cases. Okay. I've kind of looked at all the characters. I've developed this this story in conjunction with you guys. Let me produce this prophecy of destined heroes that conveniently look a lot exact uh, like your characters. Mm-hmm. Here we go. You know, <laughs> yeah. that works out fine. That's great. Uh, there is another kind of destiny that I do like where um, 
destiny is kind of the path the world should be on and deviations are permissible but problematic. Yeah. There's a couple of good <laughs> examples. One of my favorites, I'm going to forget the name of the game. There's a DS, uh, Nintendo DS game that I played uh, a long time ago, which I think may actually handle time travel better than, say, Chrono Trigger, which I know is a, a big statement when we're talking about Nintendo games. The idea is that you're kind of moving between multiple timelines and you're making decisions at lots of different points. And they describe in fiction as the correct path to get the world through this difficult time is like this one narrow, shining silver path in amongst the darkness. And there are hundreds of branches that lead into darkness and disaster. And your job is to help change things enough that we make that we make it through. But the cool thing about it is there's like 50 something fake endings built into this game where you make the wrong choice and then we see the consequences and then you kind of come back to the the hub out of time area and go, well, here's what happened. Mm. Hmm. Better try that again. And that's cool because it's the idea of, you know, let, let's let try over and over to get it right, which works very well in yeah. a, a handheld kind of casual RPG. But yeah. at the table, the idea of we're trying to fix time such that it fits what we know it should be but there are problems and we need to we can't take that for granted well i don't know that it's it's even so much of a handhold thing i mean that's the plot of two very good very interesting movies yeah um, no i specifically meant the edge of tomorrow i specifically meant like a handheld console like it's for a oh oh Mm. oh gotcha i i thought you meant like the dm's gonna hold your hand (laughs) no 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 no, no, no. wait a second no i mean specifically this goes in my (laughs) nintendo ds which you hold in your hand as you're playing okay yep nope sorry yep there (laughs) you go wrong context Um, it, it it also is is very much present in the board game time stories that is what time stories is about you are time travelers fixing timelines it's a thing that comes up a lot in doctor who uh hey by the way Doctor Who, at one point, you guys had this thing called fixed points in time <laughs> where where there were certain things that were supposed to happen. And then if those things were made to not happen anymore, there would be these terrible monsters that would, you know, bust through the space time continuum and eat people. Where did that go? <laughs> where did those guys go? Because in in like that would just what a what a plot device. <laughs> like, really don't mess this up. Really, really don't mess this up. So why did Matt Smith's doctor get to mess around with that and and Eccleston's didn't? Explain that to me, Doctor Who. As somebody Matt who's Smith. watched like three episodes of Doctor Who, I can say, eh, writers. As someone who's <laughs> watched zero do- episodes of Doctor Who, I can go, have it in a minute? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I kind of dropped out of Doctor Who after the Sonic Sunglasses showed up. So. Oh, yeah, I'm with you. Although, late Capaldi, there's some redeeming features, but um, I'm glad it's over. I've I've heard that, but like, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, to to, the, to your point, what's interesting about the way Doctor Who uses this, which is very fast and loose, as it always is with these like time travel mechanics, mm-hmm. really goes to what's valuable about this kind of destiny in a story, which is that it's about how much latitude you have and about telling stories within the context of a way things are supposed to be, where the conflict in the story is about getting them back there. It's about getting them back to like the lost status quo. That's a great way to tell stories that, because of their nature, focus on sort of keeping things the way they are. And there's always yeah. a slider on like how much are we going to deviate? Because the doctor, you know, travels through time and space continually changing the future, you know, continually changing things. Mm-hmm. But the idea of fixed points allows us to say, okay, but this week 
this thing is important. This thing can't be permitted to change, unlike all the other things we talk about on the show. And, yeah. and so you do have and some things are like, uh, this shouldn't really happen. But if it does, it's kind of like a small, like a stone in the river and it's going to be fine. Um, and then other things, yeah. it's absolutely vital. This cannot be allowed to change at all. And that's a great thing to pull out, I think, at the table, even if you're not doing a time travel story to sort of say, like, this thing must happen and you can stop it. Or maybe an NPC can stop it, but the world's going to kind of start to fall apart around it until somebody like doubles mm-hmm. back and fixes this problem. Uh, you know, one of the things I uh, thought of, you know, as we were planning this episode was uh, like the mandate of heaven. Or you could compare this to um, in Shakespeare's King John, how like the people start to believe that, you know, because there are all these disasters in the country, the rightful king must not be on the throne. There is this idea like, you know, it can be the wrong guy on the throne and he can rule the country. But things go wrong. Everything falls apart until somebody puts this right. And that's a great spot to game in because you get your destiny, but you also get something that the player characters can do something about um, since the status quo is lost and must be regained. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the other fun ways to use destiny in a game is to make it very vague, like we said before, but then use that as a motivation for player characters to investigate. Uh, Mm -hmm. basically saying so here's some vague destiny stuff that's gonna happen and characters then go tell me more okay let me go find out more okay let me go to the thing let me let me get involved you know if it's done like any other good gaming hook Mm -hmm. destiny can kind of serve that purpose without having to be super involved it can be a this is a thing that's going to happen you guys go there please hmm yeah, that works out fine. <laughs> a thing that uh, an unfortunately short lived game that I was in did was right at the beginning of the of the game, we got our fortunes told. Now, I don't know if the GM did this on purpose or not, but the, the fortunes that were told sounded very much like those super vague personality tests where it's like, you're a kind person who has feelings. <laughs> it's like so vague. But at, at the same time, it's like, oh, this is talking about me. So so. In sort of doing this, I would recommend looking at like the the very specific strategies that personality tests use to make those those tests feel more personal. It's a great way to learn about how to use language in a vague way without sounding too vague. Mm. I I just I I find that kind of thing really interesting. I don't I don't know what exactly it is. I agree. I think that's really cool. And the idea of sort of um you know, cold reading your characters or even your players appeals to me because I think what a lot of that is about, especially if you see like, you know, a bunch of horoscopes all on one page or whatever, they all have to work that way, but yet they're side by side. And so it comes down to a matter of emphasis. Like these are things that are going to happen in everyone's life, but this is what's going to be important in your life. So watch out Mm -hmm. for this. And so for one person, it can be, you know, romance, another person that can be a great opportunity, another person that can be, you know, adversity, another person that can be a great change is coming. All those things are coming in all our lives all the time, but watch out for this one. It's important to you. And that's a great way to use Destiny in just this way as a plot hook, because these are things that are going to emerge naturally from the character's life and from the plot. But you're picking something out, just putting a little it's like, you know, in old cartoons when you can see the little outline around something and you know it's going to move because, you know, it's part of like the cell. And it has that effect so that then when the players encounter somebody who could be 
a love interest or a rival or somebody, you know, you could sell all this treasure you've been trying to unload. It's like, oh, there that's the person from the prophecy. This is not just a thing. It's a subplot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, yep. you can mechanize this very nicely. I love I love the idea of rewarding character or rewarding players and their characters, depending on exactly how your game functions mechanically. I love the idea of uh, providing a reward for living up to that particular prophecy or kind of cashing it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe at the start of the game, you do something like what you said, Jenny, and you know, come up with some vague prophecy about your character and then have that written down on the character sheet somewhere or an index card saying, when complete, hand in for 10 XP or whatever. Yeah. Or even like when complete, you know, X can, or when you've completed this much, something unlocks and you get these destined abilities or something like that that are either vague and useful or like incredibly specific to the next thing. Yeah. In your destiny, you know, whatever makes sense for your game and campaign and playgroup totally works. One of the other fun destiny stories that I particularly have always enjoyed is David Edding's uh, Belgarian and Mallorian series. And one of the the clever things that is played around with in that otherwise extremely tropey but excellent series is the idea of prophecy and destiny for both sides of this very dualistic universe. They've got a prophecy, and we've got a prophecy, and both are true. Ultimately, our goal is to figure out which one is false. Mm -hmm. So you have Mm -hmm. these two prophecies kind of running into each other and eventually kind of running in parallel until at the final moment, somebody has to make a decision and pick which one continues to be true. Yeah, And that idea of conflicting destinies, which are true until proven otherwise, seems like the kind of thing you could easily build a campaign around. Because that could be, hey, the Dark One's forces are marshalling and that is a destiny that they believe in and appears to be true because everything that they're doing lives up to that destiny. And we have our own prophecies that promise a different destiny and we need to figure out uh, how to make ours come true because ours seem better for us. Or the world in general. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. which probably is also includes, you know, us, Us. but depends how cynical you want to be. Or it could be interesting if it's like it's way worse for us personally, but it's better for the world as a whole. Yeah, that works out. Yeah, very well. Nice dramatic twist. I I really like that because it encourages you to um, look forward toward some vision of the future. I think that even though destiny is inherently about, you know, the progress of events, very often it encourages players to develop tunnel vision you know like this is the thing that has to happen this is the thing that we're working toward and not to think too much about the consequences because the presumption is that it's in the hands of destiny whereas if you're talking about conflicting destinies in competition that encourages you to imagine a future because you're you're thinking about two different things ways could go you could think about two different worlds that will diverge more and more as as the years or even the centuries pass And that gives you a palpable sense that one of those imagined futures is being lost as its opportunity to become the true destiny is is closed off, which is is great. You know, it's like putting something in the player's hands and then snatching it away from them to really give that sense of urgency. You know, it's a little like to talk about Chrono Trigger again. This happens in 65 million, you know, back in the prehistoric era. It's a conflict between basically the early humanoids and these reptile people, right? The reptites. And there's what is for me a very evocative and poignant line in the middle of a very goofy story arc where Ayla has just beaten Azala. So like the leader of the humans has just beaten the leader of the reptites. And it's like the decisive victory over the reptites. And so he says, I'm sorry, she says like the future. And it's sort of cut off. 
And Ayla's like, what? What are you saying? And Azal says, we have no future. And it's like the realization that this whole timeline that could have been, this whole future of their species has been cut off and will never exist. Up to this point, history could have belonged to the reptites, but this one moment, none of that will ever be. All of those people will never be. That's yeah. like, that's high stakes to, to play for that you don't have to like name a lot of NPCs or spend a lot of time like getting to know the barkeep. The players do that work themselves in imagining that future. And this also lets you play mm -hmm. around with some of those more problematic story tropes connected with destiny, uh, the classic manifest destiny of our nation kind mm -hmm. of thing. Yeah. Or, you know, we have this divine destiny and we will do horrible things to implement it. That lets you sort of put that on the bad guys in a way while still exploring it on on your terms and say, well, OK, yeah, but it looks right. Like it looks like they've got this, but you have something else. Mm -hmm. Both are true up to a point. You've got to pick one or make one true and not the other, that sort of thing. So it lets you play with those without having to live it, which is kind of nice. Yeah, I, if I, this is something that's in the outline because of me, because I, as I was thinking about this, I was like, one of the things I'm most worried about in using destiny heavily in a game is there are certain tropes that invoke destiny that have certain things buried in them that maybe you wouldn't realize are going to be a problem until you really start to build a setting around it. And mm -hmm. uh, that's one, like Manifest Destiny, especially the idea that because our conquest is working, it must be what God wants, is like horrible, obviously, but maybe not so mm -hmm. horrible when you start your campaign about your valiant crusaders going forward to fight the orcs. And it's only when you're halfway across the continent that you realize like, oh, man, I really opened something up here without realizing what it was. Yeah. To, just a real quick note. Um, along those lines, I just finished listening to the Wrath of the Khan series on hardcore history about the Mongols. Mm. You want to talk about some people that absolutely thought that they had a mandate to conquer the entire world and were willing to be totally ruthless about it. If you're thinking about using this in one of your games, you owe it to yourself to go listen to that series. Mm. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I know it's a little inorganic, but it was just like, ah, oh, this is so perfect. Oh, no, so. no. It's it's a good recommendation. <laughs> and and I think um, similarly, uh, one that's maybe particularly applicable to to saving the game, because it's something that is a, a problematic trope that is also a biblical trope, is the idea of human atrocity as an instrument of this divine plan. That like, mm -hmm. sure, yeah. people are doing horrible things to other people, but it's just because God is using them to punish someone or worst of all morally improve someone like the idea that yeah. god planned for someone for some human being to do a horrible thing to some other human being to like firm up their resolve or something like that that's like a really touchy one it can be it can be really troubling and, and really problematic in terms of like your theology and your world building and everything and yet here it kind of is in scripture at least as as conventionally understood so i think that's something to grapple with if you wanted to bring that kind of um very classic storytelling into a game yeah yeah and anybody who is curious about that in particular, I would recommend Peter Wren's The Bible Tells Me So. Yep. <laughs> it's a, a short book that really kind of talks about reading scripture and uh, interpreting scripture in a, a very different way and very useful for this sort of thing specifically. Talking about, you know, scripture as how ancient people understood the relationship with God and understood the world. Interesting stuff. Super readable, too. Enz is a very uh, he's he's not prone to stacking up a lot of jargon. His writing flows very well. It's you'll you'll get through it quickly. Yeah. Good book. Mm -hmm. Couple other things. One thing that I think we've sort of glossed over is the idea of destiny as a thing that exists in this world and somehow people know about how in the world do people know about destinies in fiction? 
Hmm. We've kind of mentioned prophecy occasionally, and that's a common way to get it out there because that's kind of an artifact that exists. This is a thing someone can read, a thing someone can go and learn about from the appropriate wise person in the story, whatever. Mm -hmm. But it has to come into the world in some way. And how does it get there? So I I think this is a super interesting question. And the first answer I want to to posit, though, is it doesn't necessarily have to. Um, There are cases in which, like, the main purpose of, you know, the quote unquote prophecy, the, the main purpose of expressing the destiny is for we, the audience or the players, to know it, not for the characters to know it, right? That's the whole idea of Cassandra, Mm -hmm. right? It's a way of doing exposition that the characters in the story don't listen to, so they're surprised. Mm -hmm. And you can do that easily at character creation. It's as simple as giving characters a destiny. This is your character's ultimate fate, but they don't know. And that can be really fun to play for dramatic irony. I I think it's, in some ways, you might almost want to make it just an entirely metagame thing that the characters themselves are totally ignorant of. You can kind of work together to manipulate the events in the game if everybody's on board, you know, Mm -hmm. the usual caveat. But you can kind of work together to manipulate events in the game so that it lines up with what you guys have already kind of agreed to. And of course, because it's role playing, you're going to go to some surprising places along the way. Things are going to get changed. You know, the interpretation that you had in mind at the beginning of the game when you started floating stuff may shift. But it works completely from an external viewpoint. You know, the, the characters don't have to be in on it at all if you don't want. Now, they can yeah. be, mm-hmm. you know, and like Grant mentioned, you know, prophecy is a great way of getting it to them. Uh, kind of quasi-prophetic single entity stuff like, you know, dreams or premonitions or ancestral knowledge of some kind or something like that. That all works, too. But mm-hmm. I wouldn't shy completely away from just letting it be a metagame thing. Yeah. But doing that would, you know... There's this this scenario that I've been sort of mulling over in my head ever since I started reading the show notes, or as I just almost said, the notes, <laughs> which I'm never going to say ever again. <laughs> that word is done. <laughs> so I'm sorry for having said it. Real, real uh, quick, <laughs> it's kind of the whole point of microscope. Hmm. Hmm. Anyways, continue. Yeah. The idea of one character in the party knowing that they are destined for greatness and Everybody else kind of shrugging it off and being like, yeah, yeah, whatever. The the, the fighter says he's going to be the greatest wizard ever, you know, whatever. That's, uh, that's not going to happen. But then sort of like giving the player opportunities to fulfill that destiny should they choose to do it. Yeah. You you see this a lot in like anime and stuff where like the protagonist knows that they are destined for greatness and you see it a lot in in other forms of literature and media. It's like I know that I am destined for greatness. How do you know? Just a feeling. <laughs> I just got this feeling that I'm destined for greatness. <laughs> yeah. Or sometimes it is, you know, well, I once met this uh this old wise woman who told me I I was destined for this sort of thing. All right. I mean, that's cool. That works. That's as good yep. as anything else. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I just have this feeling. Yes, that feeling is called hubris. <laughs> but go <come> on. <laughs> well, and there's also the um, the possibility, like, I, I because I, I'm picking up on, on what you're putting down, Jenny. Like, you can have mm-hmm. a subjective knowledge of destiny that would never be accessible to the other characters, especially in a scenario where destiny yeah. is not, like, a cosmic plan that comes down from some entity, but is rather, like, there is a course of events that is just going to happen because of the current state of the world. So like given this yeah. personality, given the things inside this person that only they could know about, this person cannot but be great. But no one else no one yeah. else could know. It's not discoverable. Maybe even they don't know it until a certain point. But then once they know it, 
they know it. It's just it's two and two makes four. I am going to achieve greatness. And then Mm -hmm. as a GM, it would be fun to throw things out for the for that character to help them along that path. And I think it would be fun to recruit the other players into that and say, your character doesn't believe this. They have no reason to believe this necessarily. But you as a player can do everything you can to like lay the groundwork for this story that we're telling about this person reaching these unexpected heights. Uh, I think what could be more Mm -hmm. fun than playing a cynical character and as a player doing everything you can to prove that cynicism wrong? Yeah, sort of along similar lines. What if like one character in the party knows that everybody in the party is destined for greatness mm. and everybody else in the party is totally cynical yeah, and like, then they are slowly one by one proven wrong. trying to make wrong. a clock, man. <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm in. Just let me know what system we're using. Oh, I, I love this idea. Do, let's do let's do a fantasy world where the basic concept of the bard class is that some people have the innate ability to tell who's important, who is going to be great. Ooh. And so Every party's got to have a bard because that's the person who like walks into the boarding house or the bar and sees some people talking. And is like, oh, you guys, I'm with you guys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're like, we're mushroom farmers. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) This bard sits down and like sets swords on the table and stuff. Exactly. What do you expect us to do with this? And I love the idea of like a completely cynical party and the one credulous guy who's just like, but I'm going to be great. (laughs) <laughs> and he's right, and it is so annoying to everyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that that's fantastic for me, obviously. Um, the one thing about that, Jenny, is it does sort of play into, like, the, the great man will to power trope of, like, I want so badly to be great that I will make it happen no matter what. And maybe that's my yeah. destiny simply because I'm creating it. And th- then it's like, yeah. is it destiny in the, the technical sense, or is it just, you know, this person has such a strong will that they made this happen. Yeah. Right. And that can be problematic or in the case of many cutesy animes, it's, well, that's just how it goes. I mean, in some ways it's kind of the, the classic JRPG trope of I'm going to try really hard and yell a lot and eventually I'll get my way. (laughs) (laughs) This is an interesting thread to pick up again, because of a biblical connection. I think that one of the ways to take the edge off of this and make it maybe not so problematic or not so offensive is to recognize part of what's offensive about it is not so much that this person is going to uniquely be able to achieve great things, but the implication that because that is a unique capacity, that means others can't. It means that everyone who is not a great man is destined not to achieve those things or not to Mm -hmm. make history. That has to do with the person in their individuality. And if we talk about destiny as something that applies to a group of people or a community, and that the individual is sort of an an agent of that, then we have a less problematic trope that is more similar to what we find in Bible stories, for example, where, you know, Moses is not this Promethean figure who by his great virtue is able to do all these things. Quite the opposite. It is that destiny decrees that someone is going to come out from among these people and do this thing. That's a more engaging story because it's not about what Moses is capable of. It's about, sure. You it's, see some of that yeah. with David, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of these great yeah. biblical figures are incredibly flawed people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like oh, everybody yeah. in Judges. Everybody <laughs> in Judges, basically, yeah. is like this. Most yeah. of the Old Testament saints, about half of the apostles, at least, that we know about. Oh, yeah. 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 It can also sort of play into a, a trope that I am a huge, huge fan of. My successes would be nothing if not for my friends. Mm-hmm. In, in that sense, you can really get a lot of sort of team play out of that. You see that a lot in the one that's popping to mind immediately is Little Witch Academia, 
which is very oh it's so community based <laughs> i love it and and you really do get more into something great is going to come out of this group of people they may very well have to work very hard to make it happen mm-hmm. But there is the the potential for something great to come out of this group of people. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I think that a, a great way to facilitate that is to move away from the sort of locked in predetermined destiny and move towards something mm-hmm. more like the, you know, world out of balance destiny where like the world is diverted from a course and it's going back necessarily because that produces the kind of sort of force of destiny that would then like if it's not her it's going to be him and if it's not him then it's going to be them but someone is going to push this back on course because it's there's just this pressure building up from the world not being the way it's supposed to be and that also mm-hmm. allows you to have the freedom to have your destined hero die and fail and it's okay yeah. because that pressure is still building like it's going to come harder next time yeah yeah And one thing that I kind of wanted to touch on earlier and I think does sort of relate to this is there's a a metagame aspect of this in a collaborative storytelling setting where destiny, especially as an endgame concept, I think, but perfectly fine out of game as well. The idea of of destiny endgame is basically kind of a promise to players that you're going to get your chance to do something like the game is about – It's kind of what I said before, right? This is a statement about what's in the game. It's also a promise that you're going to get there eventually and – Don't worry, we're going to have a conflict with the big bad at some point because you guys are the ones who are going to do that. Now, whether you're going to accomplish that goal is up to you guys. You guys have to make it happen. But I, as the GM, am promising you through this in-game artifact, this idea that you wanted the game to be about, you guys are the chosen ones to do that, which means the whole setting is bought in on making that thing you wanted to have happen, happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's cool. It makes me think of um, the doomed in masks, you know, the playbook for the the superhero who who is is doomed by their powers and will gradually have this great confrontation will that where they will probably fail and probably die. Mm. Right. Probably right. reach some kind of dark ending. And there's a doom track that you advance along. What's interesting is that in a game as freeform as masks, bad things can happen to players anytime. So it's almost like the doomed is the only character who's guaranteed to get to the climax because there's an actual track there toward that confrontation whereas you know the great evil could come for you anytime if you're the beacon right i mean thematically maybe it wouldn't but so there's an interesting connection there where like having a dark fate or even a a chance of catastrophic failure is still a promise that we're going to get to the thing that we made this character for your story is not complete until we settle that one way or the other which is great in a hobby that has traditionally you know enjoyed killing people with needle traps um, with a reckless abandon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it can be even in a kind of game where there are needle traps, it could be there's a group of heroes who will do this thing. And maybe it's not your character specifically, hmm. but a group of people from this country or city or whatever will be the ones to or, you know, this city will give birth to the sword that defeats the big bad evil guy. What we're actually saying is a group of characters from the hub city that we're kind of basing our game out of, those are the ones who are going to ultimately fight the bad guy. It doesn't have to be anyone in particular. There can be a whole chain of different characters kind of 
building on each other to the point where this happens. It doesn't have to be our starting characters, but eventually that'll happen. And we can look back and say, yeah, that city was instrumental in making it happen. Yeah, you could go full rogue legacy with it if you really mm-hmm. wanted to. Yeah. You know, each each group of heroes that fails and dies, like, does something to set the next batch up to get a little bit further. And then at some point, the odds are stacked so high in favor of the good guys that they can just go and sweep the evil aside. But it takes, you know, perhaps generations of struggle and sacrifice to get right. there. Or it's the Castlevania thing. You know, the Belmont family routinely, you know, is the one chosen to defeat Dracula. Which Belmont? I don't know. There's a bunch. <laughs> so many Belmonts. <laughs> okay, so before we entire, first of all, are, are we good with this part? Well, uh, one thing I did want to come back to real quick. One thing we didn't quite wrap up talking about is how destiny yeah. is revealed, because I think this right. leads into something else interesting. We talked about prophecy. Right. And there's also right. variations on that, you know, an augury, uh, a dream, the gosh darn it, I'm going to be the best myself. And I say this is my destiny. Therefore, it will be. Th- those are all fine. But I also think there's a lot of storytelling mileage in the idea of a destiny that is invented to serve somebody else's purpose. Hmm. Oh, no, no, guys. Don't worry. We are destined to conquer this continent. We are destined to rule this nation. We are destined to be the kings of this little province because our blood is better and bluer, whatever it is. That idea of we're going to invent something to justify our goal. And the idea of proving that that destiny false it kind of plays back into some of these other ideas. But having this idea out there in the world, but who actually came up with that and why? Like, that's something that I think you can play around with a great deal. It's less explicitly supernatural. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely fits better in grittier games. Well, not even necessarily. You know, it can be a very tropey, the big bad evil guy is ranting and raving about his destiny to rule. I mean, that's every Saturday morning cartoon. <laughs> sure. But I, I'm I'm thinking like, maybe it doesn't necessarily work better for grittier games, but it is the only one of the things that we have been discussing that truly works well for a gritty game. Well, sure, because it it speaks to the idea of the demagogue yeah. leading a, right. a exactly an evil army or conquering army. I don't think it is just limited to that. You're correct. Yeah, I mean, any story that has a, an articulation of destiny as an in fiction element, especially divorced from any kind of you know true cosmic destiny that defines the narrative of, of the world, that's interesting because it, it could potentially be you know overturned and revealed as false in a very sort of cynical mode. You know, this this evil person who has decided to put this account of reality on people to fool them. There's also an opportunity there to ask a question of how history works. You know, when the rubber meets the road and like how how accounts of people's world may shape that world. Uh, there's right. always, you know, this question in retrospect. You know, I think with Destiny, people look backward as well as forward. And there are times in everyone's life when you look backward and wonder, you know, could it have been different or was it always going to be just what it was in that moment, in that situation? That becomes an emotionally charged question for some people, for people sometimes. And people invent accounts of destiny to answer that question but the invention does not mean that they're wrong it, you know it's like um you know if if god did not exist it would be necessary to invent him it's like if there's no destiny it, we would need to write it to to tell ourselves that it had to be that way yeah retroactive explanations are sometimes the only way people can make sense of what they've lived through or fit uh, certain changes into their worldview yes or come to grips with 
not having done something. You know, if you if you believe that you couldn't have changed it, then it sort of relieves the moral burden that you felt in the moment to act. And so that's that's something that would be interesting. And I think, yeah, like whether it's just gritty or a sophisticated story, uh, that would really be something to dig into and and maybe to leave uncertain. One of the advantages of destiny generally, as opposed to prophecy specifically, is we don't necessarily have to answer the questions that we raise, you know? Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, very true. And sometimes those kind of mysterious elements can be, sometimes the uncertainty is more interesting. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's not always necessary to like tie off every loose end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess before we sort of leave this section, one thing that occurred to me is that this whole question of like, how do you know your destiny? It would be interesting if characters in the world could choose whether to find out their destinies. Because that's a very heavy choice, you know, to find if you could know how you will die, if you could know how your love in your life will end, it would be. Can you imagine a setting where like a baked in part of the setting is at some age, probably like middle teenage years, like 14, 15, 16, a, a figure of like like an arbiter of fate or something just appears to everybody. And this is known and says, do you want to know your destiny or not? Yeah. And you get one chance to answer and you have to live with whatever it tells you or doesn't. I cannot remember the name of it for the life of me, but there was an anthology someone put together years ago of short stories about like death. I think it was specifically about death. I read the first one partway and then I got distracted, never came back to it because it was some online thing. But I distinctly remember the first part of that first story, which was this girl around like 12 or so waking up in in her bed and she is so excited. It's a big day. It's such an exciting day for her. She gets to find out today how she's going to die. Ah. Yeah. And the idea, it's sort of like um the same thing you see in say Big Fish to give it a, a more uh slightly more relatable <laughs> uh pop culture connection. The idea of it, Big Fish is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's a weird choice, <laughs> but there you go. The idea of like, if I know how I'm going to die, what else is there to worry about? It's so freeing. Mm. And so that idea of like a setting where you do know that and we kind of have to bend things around it to make sense. And maybe there's tweaks, right? Like it's always a little ironic or you never know exactly what it means, but it's going to make sense. And retrospectively, we promise there's ways to kind of give more agency and free will in various places. But the idea of a setting, I think, is super cool. Like that's got a lot of promise as one of those weird alternate world kind of things, because the idea of this was like you go to some machine and it it can see into the future Mm -hmm. and figure it out, if I recall correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a wonderful idea. And it's not I think such has a legs. great piece of information to get if your name is Bernard Nipperdalling, <laughs> though. Well, and that's one of the like I was I mentioned Big Fish. I love Big Fish. And the main character chooses to learn how he's going to die. Maybe because Big Fish is kind of about Americana and mythic America. And so maybe he didn't actually. But in the stories this guy tells, he did. He looks into the the mystic object, I think it's like a witch's glass eye, and sees how he's going to die. And one of his buddies who's with him does. The main character looks and says, yeah, you know, I was I was old and I was sick. And the kid who's with him looks and goes, I wasn't old at all. Mm-hmm. And there's this kind of this, this subtle downbeat of horror where you go, oh, that that's yeah. real bad. Mm-hmm. So there is that that tension and it is something you can play with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would be cool is to have like um, if I were trying to make this, you know, central, like try to build a world around it to do something with um, with character creation or this would be great for like a one shot where 
associated with a character is like, you know, four cards face down that are going to determine the key beats of your story. Oh, yeah. And like, mm-hmm. you can turn them early if you want, but the bad ones sort of like weigh on your character, you know, and they sort of like reduce your effectiveness in some way. This would be great for like a mythos kind of story uh, or something really focused on like desolation and sadness, uh, which is the kind of game I love to play. (laughs) But then you'd have to make this decision like, okay, we're going into the final conflict. I can know how it ends for me, which would maybe help me decide how I want to approach it. Mm -hmm. But if I find out that it's disaster, the weight of that weighs my character down so much. Or I and I may decide it would be where it would work best in a story where you don't necessarily have to flip that card. Maybe you never go fight the big bad guy or maybe you never go try to you know achieve the love of your life because you don't want to flip that card Hmm. yeah yeah or to throw another oh boy how am i going to explain this destiny only becomes destiny once you find out about it so you you take those cards and you deal all four of them face down and if you never flip them they don't affect you Hmm. if you do flip them it's kind of like the deck of many things it could be good it could be bad it could be some mm-hmm. mix of the two but now you're locked into that yeah. whatever it is yeah very yep. like self-fulfilling hmm. prophecy kind of thing right but you opt into it yeah. i like i like the idea of um there's also kind of a an interesting magic world building idea floating around of you have a world where there is free will but there are people who make kind of like contract-based magic where they lock themselves into destinies in order to gain something power or knowledge or whatever Hmm. like that's the price it's a very changelingy kind of idea you're giving up your free will you're the price you're paying is decisions about your life going forward oh yeah what if you had a um what if you had a fantasy setting where there's a church whose sort of whose vocations you know whose monastic orders and things like that the way they function is when you take your vows you replace your destiny with one that comes from that order and so if you don't want the life that's in store for you then you take this one that's cool and that actually i think feeds well into the second section we've got here okay let's kind of go over this quickly because i don't want to spend too much time talking about one specific system I, i think i can probably just run this down if you guys let me. I, I spent a bunch of time throwing this okay. together uh, this afternoon. So one specific like predestination system that I really like is the one that's found in the Anomine game from Steve Jackson Games. So the idea is that everybody in the whole world has a destiny and a fate. Your destiny is the highest height of good that you could hope to achieve with your life. It is the thing that you can do that will have the most beneficial lasting effects towards goodness and will do the world the most good your fate is the thing that can cause the most evil pain tragedy and harmful effects right everybody has both of these most people die without hitting either so as an example of like your your destiny and people who you could argue have reached theirs uh people like dietrich bonhoeffer or martin luther king jr um they reached their destinies. It didn't necessarily turn out great for them, but they did a huge amount of good for the world. Now, it's not a one-way ticket to martyrdom. Somebody like Fred Rogers lived a pretty normal life, but did a tremendous amount of good. One can also argue that he achieved his destiny. On the other side of the coin, you have fate. Um, and once again, this can be this big, grand thing. You know, people like Napoleon or Stalin... Um, probably achieved their fate where they just caused all of this suffering and ruin in their wake. Um, but you can also have stuff that's just the, the, the pain you cause is like what's inside you that gets 
shared with others. So you have like these tragic suicides like um, Chester Bennington or Robin Williams. And like Destiny, some level of grandeur isn't necessarily required. Um, for either one of these, it can be a very mundane life that's, you know, it's just this is the most good or the most evil you could do. So you can be a really just some dedicated nurse someplace who's just really compassionate in a hospital someplace. And every patient who comes through the ward is a little better for her having been there. But she's never going to be known by most people who don't go through that hospital or who work with her or, her, you know, friends and family. Or you can have somebody like a certain deceased relative of mine who was just a horrible person who was abusive and narcissistic and selfish, but never had any kind of power. And so just made their family miserable. Um, the other thing that's kind of cool about this particular system that I like is that they are not mutually exclusive. And they are also not necessarily of the same intensity. So for the, the intensity thing, they one of the examples that they gave was of a bloodthirsty, sadistic tyrant whose destiny was just to be a peaceful artist who lived out their life in peace and taught in their old age. In the source material, that was Hitler. <laughs> um, and you can also have people who achieve both their destiny and fall to their fate in their life. The example that they gave in the source material was Ernest Hemingway, who was this um, legendary, inspiring writer who, you know, taught all of these people about, you know, kind of the beauty and power of writing, but also, like, felt a drunkenness, despair, and suicide. And I, I like this system because it gives you these things that if, you know, let's say you're playing a character and you discover your destiny and or your fate, it's like, oh, this is my potential, you know, this is my potential for good or for ill. And sometimes if you've got this really powerful fate and this really kind of wimpy destiny, it can be tempting to go after the fate because it's like, hey, I might do all this harm, but at least I'll be famous, mm -hmm. right? Mm. You know, that, that human impulse towards glory and self-aggrandizement or I'll turn out better in this, even if everybody else doesn't. Or conversely, you know, this is, you know, my, my destiny is to go be this ignominious, you know, like martyr or something like it. I don't want that. So it's, it's an interesting thing to play with. And I think it's very portable to other systems. It, it's like alignment in D and D, right? It, it's not something that's um, got any bearing on reality or is based on any specific theology, any recognizable form. But I, I like the idea of everybody in the world kind of having these two competing pulls on their soul that you know it's like you can give into one or give into the other or sometimes you know they can both kind of pull you in the same direction and you're going back and forth between one and the other and it's the kind of like struggles people have or the things that they try and achieve in their life can have this kind of metaphysical aspect to it yeah that's that's a, a fascinating system and i think it gets to the kind of a part of the core of why destiny is such a compelling and perennial topic in stories, which is that what we really want to see is ultimately the embrace or the defiance of destiny. You know, that's what people can do about it in a story that is oftentimes like the plot's not a mystery. We know what's kind of going to happen. And the ability to give that potentiality to characters to know what they could have been and see if they do actually embrace it or if they manage to escape it. That seems really fun. Uh, it, it reminds me of a wonderful book I read, uh, Life After Life by Kate Atkinson. Uh, minor spoilers for the book. Uh, you know, maybe you skip ahead, but just 
if you skip ahead, read it and find out for yourself. The premise of the book is basically that there's this girl who every time she dies, starts her life over with a little bit of knowledge that she gradually remembers. And so the whole book is basically a sequence of starting and restarting and restarting her life and taking different paths. And it kind of is an examination of like all the different things you could do with a life, you know, the hard limits and the lessons that if you had known them a little earlier, things could have been better or maybe would have been worse despite your efforts. That's a fascinating way to look at characters. Mm-hmm. Kind of reminds me a little bit of that um, literary quote about the figs that... Um Ashley Mowers had in her Barden Bible episode. It's the same thing. You see all these paths in front of you, but they start to spoil as you wait mm. more. Mm. I wish I could remember the specific literary <laughs> reference. <laughs> Anything else we want to add to this? Any last minute thoughts on Destiny? Um, I'd say as a general rule, try to avoid the, the stuff that removes player agency, but otherwise full speed ahead. Have, have fun. Yeah, I think if you treat it as a narrative trope rather than a edict, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, you're you're probably better off. But I do think there are some corner cases and cases where you get player buy-in to do certain things where I think you can play around with it a lot more and, and have a lot of fun. Yeah. 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 I, and that's kind of why I wanted to kind of close with that system mm-hmm. from Anomine is I, I feel like that's a really effective way of implementing this without totally derailing the game yeah 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 maybe one thing i should mention very quickly is we've kind of used a lot of these very high fantasy dramatic examples there's a lot of room for destinies that are small and personal i'm destined to make things up with my dad i'm destined to be the first person in my family to go to college things like that Those are fun destinies you can play with and have good and compelling stories about. They are not your classic high fantasy defense of the world kind of things. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes those little things are even more compelling. Yeah. It it goes to what the character's about, which I guess is is my final thought on this, is that this is a very thorny topic. It's a, a destiny can be a very difficult thing, but those obstacles that exist often dissolve in the face of player buy-in because ultimately whether or not an aspect of of the character or the setting or the future can be changed that's irrelevant if we've agreed together that that's what we're doing here so it because there won't be any push against it and so i think the key thing is like i would never run a game where i have an idea as a gm of there is this destiny but the players aren't in on it like the players don't know that I'm doing that in the campaign, it would absolutely have to be bought into by everyone at the table that this is what's predetermined and this is what isn't. And with that in place, it's almost like the the ideal is we never have to make a ruling on can you not fight the fated battle? Can you escape the death you were always meant to have? And that's your character concept. Because if we did it right at character creation, that's what the player wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think I would actually take that and take it a step further and say, if you're going to use these tropes at all in your game, you better sit down and have a conversation about it with the group or you're going to possibly have some hard feelings and pretty subversive play. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, Chris, thank you again for joining us. We really do appreciate it. If somebody wants to find out about the Gameable Saturday Morning Podcast or previous iterations thereof or Mega Dumbcast or anything else you do, where can they go to find those things? All right. Well, I got two podcasts, so I'll keep the plugs to a minimum. Gameable podcast. Uh, you can check out gameable Disney podcast.tumblr.com. That's gameable G A M E A B L E. Uh, that's where you can find links to all of our old episodes. So if you want to start listening to the show with something you know, that's the place to go. We are also gameable podcast on Twitter. 
Mega Dumbcast, if you want to check it out, um, takes about 10 minutes of your time. Uh, don't listen to it around your kids or, you know, your grandparents or whatever. Uh, <laughs> listen to it while you're angry in your car. You can find that at megadumbcast.podbean.com. And I am at megadumbcast on Twitter as well. So that's it. And thank you so much for having me on the show. It's always a pleasure. Oh, yeah, of course. Always love having you. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. fantastic. One quick note about Mega Dumbcast, by the way, in case daily podcasts scared you off, Chris is kind enough to do weekly wrap ups of everything and that compress them all into one episode. So easier listening if you're trying yeah, to work through the backlog. They're usually five to ten minutes long, so it's not like you're getting an hour of content every day or something. Yeah. 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 I would be amazed if you could do that. <laughs> some people <laughs> some people have, have tweeted to me like, I love Mega Dumbcast and I wish every episode were an hour long. And I could feel my heart rate rising as I contemplated. <laughs> <laughs> yes. My blood pressure. <laughs> I can't be that it's angry. It's 300 over 200. <laughs> yeah. Whew. All right. Well, Chris, thank you so much. This has been a really good discussion. I really appreciate mm-hmm. it. I think we've got a lot of good content out there. One thing I do want people to think about, if you like this episode and these topics, Start a conversation with us and with Gameable Podcast on Twitter. We love hearing about this. Or if you want to hop into our Discord, you can always do that. There's a link on our website, stgcast.org. See our Discord link over there. Uh, If you want to catch up on our past episodes, stgcast.org is the place to go to find them. Of course, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podchaser, all sorts of stuff, wherever you want to find us. Chris, thank you again. I look forward to many other excellent episodes of everything you put out. I cannot wait. I'm so excited about a month of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles just to start with. (laughs) Thank you. I'm looking forward to talking about terrible people with you. Excellent. (laughs) And from all of us here at Saving the Game, have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See ya. See ya. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilore.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.